Morning, Community Church. I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I want to start with a question, and I want to ask, how many of you have ever played the game uh, Two Truths and a Lie? A few of you? Okay, for the uninitiated, uh, it is an icebreaker game, get-to-know-you type thing that you would do at like a team gathering, a corporate training. And so seeing as how I was a dorm advisor for three years in college uh, and have done more like facilitated team building than any one person should have to do in a lifetime, uh, this was a common game that we would play. And so I always had a few things in my back pocket that I would use to share as my truths. But the whole purpose of the game is that when you talk about these things, you would share some of your life with these people that you might not be familiar with. And of these truths that I would keep in my back pocket, I always put two of them together because it made people guess wrong. The first one was that I share a birthday with one of my sisters and my grandfather. And the second truth was always that I'm adopted. And what would happen is people would think, well, that feels like those things might be mutually exclusive of one another. Uh, and so they'd always get it wrong. The third truth that I always shared was that I worked at a funeral home, but that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, the other reason that some of those truths get a bit of an eyebrow raise is that for people that actually know my family, they've lived in Mount Pleasant for forever, uh, people are like, you look like them. There's some family resemblance there. Uh, but the reason that I bring this up this morning is because as we continue this series from the heart, uh, the message that I want to bring to you this morning uh, is all about the spirit of adoption. And it started as something that I wanted to draw from my own experience and connect to the work of God. Uh, but what the Lord has done over these last weeks and months as I've prepared for this morning has made it something much more expansive and inclusive than that. Uh, so I want to take a moment just to pray if you guys would join me. Heavenly Father, we just pray that as we hear your word this morning that we would uh, not walk away unchanged. And God, I just pray that as I share, that anything that's of my flesh would be cast away, and anything that's of your spirit would find good soil to be made root and grow into new life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I also want to give a warm welcome to all of our friends joining us at our campus locations and online. Uh, and those of you here in Mount Pleasant, glad that you are with us. Uh, when I came to know Jesus as a high school student and started reading my Bible for the first time, I was like shocked level surprised to find in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul writes to these churches in the first century, and he uses this picture of adoption as a parallel to the work of God. And he talks about adoption as our inheritance, and, and for me, as an adopted kid, I felt like I was in some sort of secret club. Like, the Lord was using his word to root truth down into me, and nobody else really understood it like I understood it. Uh, now, that's not 100% true, but there is a unique perspective that comes with being adopted. And it brought this sense of connection to God's word and his work in my life, and I had been looking for an opportunity to bring that to the church. Uh, because my own experience of being adopted seems like something that you might find in maybe like a low-budget Hallmark screenplay. Like, it's pretty ideal. Um, my biological parents were high school kids. My mom was 16 when she got pregnant and just turned 17 when I was born. And my biological father was going off to college uh, just about the time that I was to be born. And they were together for a long time, and they really cared for one another, but when they found out that they were pregnant, it just kind of all fell apart. 
And even though uh, the families were really supportive and they were offering, like, you can do whatever you think is going to work, they made the really difficult and sacrificial decision to place me up for adoption. And my adoptive parents, just my parents now, uh, were married, they're stable, they were gainfully employed, uh, loving family, and wanted to grow their family, but were told that they were never able to have children. And so they were on what they thought was going to be a five to six year journey of being screened and trained and background checked and home studied, uh, all to be adoptive parents. And about four years into that journey, they got a phone call that said, hey, you know that home study uh, that normally is going to take six months? We need to have it done in six weeks. Uh, And you know all that paperwork and that homework that we gave you that you thought you had a month to do? Uh, One week, please. And so six weeks later, (laughs) ta-da, I came home with them as a not-quite-newborn baby. And there's beautiful pictures that can be translated from that work in my life into the work of God. Right? We'll never know what my future could have been like had I remained with my biological family. Uh, Probably a high school-age single mom um, is not the ideal environment for raising a children, a child. And those of you that do that, amazing to you. But that is a hard work. And to be brought out of that situation and into a stable, loving, secure environment, uh, there's so much that we can draw in parallel to the work of God. God lays the plans. He does the work through Jesus Christ to bring us out of our need and into a situation of love and safety and security. There's so much that we can draw there. Uh, But what happened is as I started to prepare for this, the Lord was like, nope. (laughs) You're going the wrong direction. Because what my hope was is to take parallels from my life and apply it to the work of God. And what the Lord wanted to show us today was that if we want to know what the spirit of adoption is actually all about, we need to start first with the work of God and see where our reality aligns. And so what I want to share with us today is that in the kingdom of God, The spirit of adoption isn't just about being brought into a family. It's so much more. It's actually about knowing and aligning our hearts and lives with the heart of the Father. And so if you have your Bible with you, if you have your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11. And we're going to be reading a whole bunch of stuff this morning. Uh, And so I'm going to give you the summary version of a parable that Jesus tells, because it would waste all of my time to read the whole thing. So Jesus tells this story of a father who has two sons. And the younger son comes to the father. He says, Dad, I want my cut of the inheritance. And so the father actually divides up his estate and gives his younger son the portion that would have been due him. It's a third of everything that the father owned. His older brother, being the eldest son, would have gotten a double portion of inheritance, and so his brother got two-thirds, he would have gotten one. And he takes everything that the father gives him, all of his own belongings, and he goes off to a faraway land, and the Bible tells him that he tells us that he spent everything he had on reckless living. Soon after he's broke, a famine breaks out, and he finds himself in a far-off land with no resources, and he is in a bad way. So he goes and hires himself out as a laborer to someone who owns land and owns livestock. And the next thing he knows, he's feeding pigs. 
And he's so hungry that the food that he's feeding the pigs is actually starting to look attractive to him. And he realizes, man, I have messed up. And so he starts to formulate this plan in his head where he's going to go back to his father's land, his father's household, and he's going to beg for forgiveness. Because at least he knows the people that work in his father's fields never go hungry. They always have enough to eat. So he plans to go and beg forgiveness from his father and ask to be hired on as one of his field workers. But as he starts to make that journey home, his father sees him from a long way off and actually runs out to meet him. He throws his arms around him, he puts a robe on him and shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger, and he throws a party to celebrate his return. And while they're throwing a party, the whole community shows up. His brother comes in from working in the father's fields. He has no idea what's happening. So another servant tells him, oh, your brother came home and your dad threw a party. He finds out that this good-for-nothing brother gets a party, and he is angry about it. So his father comes outside, and he says to this older son, son, come in. Come and join the celebration. He isn't having any of it. He tells his father, I've worked for you all these years. I've slaved for you, and you haven't given me anything. And this good-for-nothing brother of mine comes home, and you throw a party for him? Father tries again. Son, everything that I have is yours. Come in, join the celebration. Be a part of this loving reunion. It's fitting that we should celebrate because your brother was dead and now he's back. He was lost and now he's found. And then the story ends. There's no resolution. We never find out if the father brought the older son over to his side whether he came in and and leaned into what the father was trying to do in their lives. I have to give a lot of credit to Pastor Tim Keller for his work on the parable that is sometimes called the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, It's been invaluable as I prepared for this, and it, it might seem a bit weird to use a parable about two sons to talk about the spirit of adoption. But it's only because we're doing what I tried to do as I prepared, which was look at this from our own perspective first. Because when we look at this with heavenly eyes, with with God's perspective, both of these sons are alienated from their father. They're a picture of the brokenness that we can exhibit in our own lives that is still in need of being adopted, brought back in alignment with the heart of the father. So let's start looking at the younger son together. Verses 12 and 13 of Luke 15. The younger brother says to his father, Hey, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, that young son gathered all he had, took a journey to a far country, and he squandered his property in reckless living. So we have the youngest of two sons coming to his father and telling him, I'm tired of waiting for what's coming to me. I'm tired of living under your roof. I'm tired of living under your rules. I'm tired of living the life that you want me to live. Give it to me now, what's coming to me. It's the insult of saying to your dad, yeah, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. He takes everything and he goes off on a journey. And I would call this journey the journey of self-discovery. Because what the young son wants to find out is, what kind of person am I outside of the father's house? 
What kind of person am I without the Father's leadership? I want to make my own way. I want to go it on my own. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do and how to live. I'm going to discover who I am. And he just chooses to disconnect himself from the Father. And he's living a life that can only be characterized by one word, and it's rebellion. And I want us to take a moment and think back in our own lives, ask the question, when have I been a child in rebellion? Now, the, the easy out for this is to think back before maybe you knew who Jesus was. Or if you were so lucky to have the inheritance of faith and grow up in a household that taught you about faith, maybe you went through a few years that you would call your rebellious years. That's the easy spot to see. But what about if you've made a decision to follow after Jesus and you've tried to commit yourself and then you fall into rebellion or then you dive into rebellion? What about then? See, we can all live like that younger brother. We can look to our father for his blessing, but we don't necessarily want to submit to his authority. We, we look to Jesus and say, we want you to save us, but I don't know how I feel about you being Lord over me. These are marks of living in that younger brother way. But then what we have is this moment of clarity for this younger son. He comes to a place of desperation. He's starving. He's working for someone else, and he realizes that it's time to go home. Verse 17, he comes to himself and he says, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. So the son, we see it, the wheel is turning in his brain, right? He's formulating a plan. How do I get back into the father's good graces? Because the culture of the day would have meant that since he cost the father a third of everything he owned, it would have been customary that if he had any chance of coming back, even into the community, that he would have to pay back everything that he had cost him. So the son is trying to scheme and make a plan of how am I going to earn my way back to the father? I know, I'm just going to hire myself out to him. He has no expectation of being received back as a son. And the climax of this whole first section of this parable is that as the son comes home, he's making his way. The father sees him from a long way off and he runs out to him. And the Bible says that he falls on his neck in an embrace. He calls to the servants, bring the finest robe and put a ring on his finger, his shoes for his feet, and prepare a feast. My son is home. The son doesn't even get a chance to get this plan out of his mouth. And the father is accepting him. And this must have been a shocking moment for this young son. Because he comes home with no expectation of acceptance. With no expectation of love. But it's because he never actually knew his father's heart. He never actually knew that in his father's heart was a longing for him, was a waiting for him, was watching the horizon for his return. And waiting for this rebellious son to come home. Because this rebel 
of a younger son needs to be adopted back to the heart of the father. That heart of grace and mercy that the father is waiting to show him. And that's almost the easier picture to see. It's easy to identify with rebellion because we know it when we see it. The, the physical distance that the son puts between himself and the father, the, the insult, the way that he just separates himself and cuts himself off. And we can see that in our own lives when we, we disobey, when we know that we've done wrong, it's easy to identify that we've messed up. It's need, the easy way is to see that this son needs to be adopted, to be brought back in. And so the father, as a sign of the restoration, he throws a party. And he invites the whole community, and there is just a major celebration going on. But then during the feast, our friend, the older brother, makes his appearance. He comes in from the fields where we have to assume that he has been working the land and tending the flocks and managing the laborers on his father's behalf. But as soon as he opens his mouth, it's quick to see that there's probably trouble at home. Verses 28 and 30, Luke 15. But the older son, he was angry and refused to go in. So the father comes out and entreated him. But he answers his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And we can see from the response of this older brother that just like his younger brother, he doesn't know the heart of the father either. He doesn't know how to handle his father's unconditional acceptance of his wayward brother. And his words to the father just reveal his heart. I served you. I never disobeyed your commands. And you didn't give me anything. The lie that the son is believing is that his life of obedience, the dedication that he's put himself towards as the work of the father's land, all of that obedience now is being held over the father's head. He's trying to use it as leverage saying to the father, don't you see how good I've been for you? Now you owe me. When he sees the celebration over his brother, this this older son realizes that his father doesn't operate on a system of merit. He's operating from a place of grace and mercy, and so all of his striving, all of his obedience, all of his hard work is not paying off like he expected it to. Because in a similar way to his brother, he was working for the father's stuff. He just had more patience. But this isn't even a new story to the Bible of being frustrated when the wayward thrive, when the wayward are accepted. The psalmist in Psalm 73 uses words like this, Behold the wicked. They're always at ease. They always have riches. But I in vain have kept my heart clean. I've washed my hands in innocence. So the psalmist and the son are both expressing these feelings of, look, I followed the rules. Isn't that enough? It's this mindset of trying to earn the father's affection by our good behavior. 
Even going so far as to think that the good behavior and following the rules means that the Father is going to owe us something. And the reason that the older brother even makes an appearance in this story is because Jesus is having an argument with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who are always worried about keeping the law. And Jesus tells them over and over again, you know the rules. You're actually really good at keeping the rules. But you have no idea what the rules are for. That law that Moses gave, it wasn't for the rule keeping. It was to show you the best way to live. It was to point you to the one who gave you the law so that you could delight in him and be a blessing unto him. But what happened is the religious people of the day and the religious people of today turned it into a scorecard. Look how good I am at keeping the rules. Better than those other people who aren't so good at rule keeping. But when we compare these two types of disconnection, the rebellion and the rule follower, the heart of the older son is actually the harder one to be aware of. Because the older son is so sure of his rightness. He's so sure of his correctness. And it's so clear that the younger brother was wrong. Everyone could see his rebellion. But from the outside, the older son looked like he was the good son. He was working for the father. He was obeying him. But his concern was about avoiding disobedience rather than actually lining up his heart with his father's heart. One of those passages that I mentioned earlier that really captivated me as a younger man uh, was Romans 8, verse 14 and 15. And Paul's writing to these churches and he uses this language of adoption. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And when we put this letter from Paul next to this parable that Jesus told, Paul hits the nail on the head, the root of the behavior, the root of the disconnect between these sons and the father. They're both living in fear. They're both living in fear. The younger son has got a classic case of FOMO, the fear of missing out. He's worried that if he stays with the father, if he stays close to him, if he stays under his leadership and guidance and wisdom, that he's never going to find out what the world has to offer, what kind of person he is, how to discover who he is apart from the father, how to pave his own way. And then it turns into a fear of being accepted. Now that he's broken the father's heart, how do, I, how do I earn my way back so that I can cover over my rebellion? But the older brother lives a life of fear too. He's so afraid that by breaking the father's commands, by doing anything that would smack of disobedience, that the father's going to cut him out. That he's going to pull him out of the will, so to speak. We can see that he talks about his work for all these years on the father's behalf. He calls it slaving. He's slaving for his father. Well, slaves don't work because they love the master. 
Slaves work to pay off a debt. So if the son was really working on behalf of his father, he'd be working out of love. He'd be working out a sense of family mission, a sense of purposefulness to, to help facilitate their generational inheritance. But he's doing it out of fear. He's doing it out of obligation. And at this point, if you guys haven't figured it out, we are those sons. One minute we're, we're rebellious and then we're ashamed of our rebellion. The next minute we're self-righteous or we're angry because God's not doing things the way that we think he should do them. We, we run from the Father one minute and then we long to come back to him the next We look down our nose at God because we're so sure that our rightness is the way to go. And the Father's just standing there watching the horizon, and he's coming out to us, and he's saying, come in to my celebration. Come in and experience my love and affection for you. But we're trapped living in this state of bondage to fear. We have to have this exchange, friends, of the the spirit of fear for the spirit of adoption to become sons and daughters. To know that the acceptance and love of our Heavenly Father is there waiting for us. And it's that acceptance that allows us to use the words of Paul, call him Abba, Father. It's the language of little, little children saying, Dad. What I hope we hear today, church, if nothing else that the spirit of adoption is the Father's heart for you. It's the heart that longs to be with you. It's the, the heart that longs to know you. And the good news today is whether you're a rebel who has just been bent on pushing away the Father's leadership, or you're a really good rule follower, but you do it because you're afraid that God's waiting for you. And you can have freedom today. You can have freedom from the fear that holds us back, that puts us in chains from knowing that we live under a father who is longing for us. And he paid such a high price. He paid the price of his own natural-born son so that we could be adopted into his family. We see the response of the father in the parable. He runs to the wayward. He pleads with the hard-hearted one. Come in, experience the love of the Father. One of the great gifts that I've experienced in my uh, almost 40 years as an adopted son is that, uh, as well as about 20 plus years being adopted in the Spirit, uh, is that most of the time, like 99% of the time, I don't even think about the fact that I'm adopted. I don't, Uh, and I don't ever want to forget what it cost, what it cost my birth family to make that that tremendously difficult decision and the cost that was paid by my parents who adopted me to make space in their life for me. And I don't ever want to forget what it cost Jesus to bring me into the spiritual family of God. But the thing that I want to spend most of my time living under and knowing and just like letting be a part of me that I'm a son and I'm deeply loved and that's my prayer for us as we 
go this week. So why don't I pray for us? Father, thank you that you paid the cost, that you are the true Father who runs after the wayward, who pleads with the rule follower, who is just waiting to bring us into your family. Thank you for the work of Jesus, the cost of the cross, and that you were willing to pay it so that we could be close to you. We don't have to hide in our fear. We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, church, have a blessed week.